Phil, just in case you get back up here, I've moved your notes over there. <laughs> well, um, it's so lovely to see you all today and, um, and to see also, well, we can't see you on Zoom, but um, welcome to all of you on Zoom. Uh, my question uh, today is uh, to ask you all, um, have you ever been part of a victory parade? You know, uh, when you're in the midst of a whole lot of people who are cheering and hollering because there's been a victory. You know, great victories are celebrated often. I can remember in 1995 when Peter Blake bought the, um, I was going to say the World Cup, but the America's Cup back to New Zealand. And there was that magnificent ticker tape parade down Auckland. Um, if you support Leeds or Liverpool or a team like that, when they bring the cup home, the celebrations are amazing. When presidents and prime ministers win elections, the parties celebrate. And even wars. Um, it's interesting, isn't it, that in Paris they've built the Arc de Triomphe, which is a living memorial, if you like, to the victory of the Napoleonic Wars. You know, victory celebrations are times of joy, delight, a lot of energy, and this sense of relief that something has been lifted off a nation or a people or a team. It's just relief. Now, on August the 15th, 1945, Australia celebrated uh, VJ Day victory over Japan. Um, Japan surrendered about three months after Germany surrendered. Uh, the surrender was announced in Britain and then in Australia and in New Zealand there were the most fantastic celebrations. And I want you to enjoy this now to get a sense of what a victory celebration is like because they filmed it in Australia. We're just going to show you about four minutes of it and if you can kind of enter into it and imagine yourself being there. Thank you, Lynette. Yay! <laughs> I've torn the service sheet up. <laughs> Today, we are celebrating, we're talking about and preaching through the book of Revelation. We're celebrating and we're talking about the greatest victory that has ever been won in the entire universe. That's what we're talking about today. It's a victory that we can celebrate whenever we come together to worship. It's a victory that we can celebrate in our quieter moments, in the morning when we wake up. On days that we're not feeling so great, we can still celebrate this victory. Now, this is not triumphalism that I'm talking about. It's that deep faith in the character of God and what he's done for us. Sue and I had a very upsetting phone call on Wednesday this week. Now, the pastor who brought me into ministry and his wife, who I served with, with his wife for many, many years in youth ministry in Whanganui, has just contracted esophageal cancer. And um, she's in her 80s. Um, they've had a lot of um, inspections and doctor's reports and everything, and they've decided not to go ahead with any treatment. 
And whilst it was an incredibly sad phone call, I was blessed by her strength. You know, she said these verses to me, even though I walk through the darkest valley, I will fear no evil, for you are with me, and your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Surely your goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. The focus was on God, on his faithfulness, on her trust in him, because the victory over death has been won. So we're beginning this year teaching in Revelation, as we did last week, um, entering into the central part of the book of Revelation, which is chapter 4 and chapter 5. I've just bought an e-bike, and I'm cycling everywhere on it, and I noticed the hub of the e-bike is huge, and then the spokes go out from it like that to the tires. Revelation chapter 4 and 5 is the hub of the book of Revelation. So even though we're going to hear about monsters and beasts and the devil and all that sort of thing, we come back always to the hub. If we can get a handle on Revelation chapter 4 and 5, we will not fear when we read about other things. You see, God is on the throne. That's what you heard last week. God is actually in charge. It's his creation. It's his world. That is amazing. It's so gratifying to know that a good being is on the throne. And then in chapter 5, the focus changes from the one seated on the throne to the Lamb, which is Jesus Christ. And the multitudes of angels and beings and the elders and uh, worshipping God. And the key factor of chapter 5 comes in verse 5. You have prevailed. In other versions it says, you've won the victory. In the NIV it says, you have triumphed. And uh, in the NRSV it says, you have conquered. So we're talking about that today. But the question for you and I, living here on this planet now, and particularly in this time of this pandemic, is what sort of victory was won and who is the beneficiaries of the victory? So in chapter 5, you get this picture of the one sitting on the throne holding a scroll and the scroll has seven seals on it. It's been sealed, and the writing is on the outside and the inside, which itself is actually very unusual for a scroll. It's usually on the inside. So there's a lot in there. But the scroll is locked. No one can open it. I don't know whether you can feel the tension. It, a similar thing would be, do you remember when you were a little kid, and mum and dad put Christmas presents under the Christmas tree about five days in advance, and you saw the Christmas presents there, and you wondered what you would have in yours and what somebody else would have in theirs. Another one is sometimes you get a letter or a parcel addressed to your home, and it says, 
you know, the name of the person to be opened, and so you can't open it yourself. So I'm wondering what my wife's buying from Easy Buy. You know, I want to get in there and see how much it all cost. But I have to wait till she gets home. That's the tension. But the tension is much greater. Why? Because in this vision, John saw, John started to weep. He saw himself weeping because no one could open the scroll. It says, I wept because no one worthy to open the scroll could be found. The first question is to ask, what does the scroll represent? And especially to the churches at that time, because remember, it was a letter an apocalyptic letter addressed to the people of Asia Minor. So what does it mean to those people then, and what might it mean to us today? Well, William Barclay summarizes a lot of research that's done on the, on the scrolls, and he says this, the scrolls represent God's will, his final settlement of the affairs of the universe. That's what's in the scroll. This is based on the idea that under Roman law, which is the historical context of Revelation, wills were sealed with seven seals by seven witnesses. So they knew the context. For us, it's a bit strange. The idea here is that God has got written down the history that is yet to come. He's got it. It's in his hands. It's already written. Why? He's the Alpha and the Omega. He's the beginning and the end. His plan is firmly established. He's written the affairs of, the, of this world in advance. It's his plan. So he's holding it, and only one worthy enough to open it can open it. That's why John wept. No one could be found to open it. So he's having this vision, this dream, and no one could be found to open it. Imagine the churches in those days, overcome by the Roman oppressors, overcome by this hedonistic culture of Rome, and the Christians were wondering, how's this going to work out? John wept. And maybe even today, we're wondering in the pandemic, what's gonna, what, how's this going to work out? We're wondering about Ukraine. What's going to happen? These are some of the things we need to be thinking about. Do you know that human beings throughout history have always wanted to know what's coming? That's why we hold investments. We invest in something because we believe we're going to receive something good from it. That's why we take out insurance. We insure and protect the things we have in the event of a disaster. Is there going to be a disaster? That's why people go to palm readers and witches and read horoscopes because they want to know about that. That's why people read the horoscopes in the newspaper. And that actually is the history of humanity because way back in the Garden of Eden when Satan tempted Adam and Eve, this is what Satan said, for God knows the day that you eat it, your eyes will be opened and you'll become like God. You'll know. You'll know everything. That's our human condition. This is why the scroll is so important. 
It's important for the church at the time and John to know what's going to happen. And it's just as important for us today to have confidence in what's going to happen in the future. But wait, there's more. As they say, someone was found. Someone was found to take the scroll, to open its seals, to reveal God's plan and his destiny for the planet. John's told, he said, stop crying. Stop weeping. It's all right. The lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has prevailed. He's overcome. He's won the victory. Now that's messianic prophecy from the Old Testament and people in those days would have understood those phrases. The Messiah was the one coming to deliver. And of course they got it wrong, didn't they? Because they thought the Messiah was going to be a deliverer from the Romans. And when it didn't work out that way, God had another agenda which we need to grasp. A lion, I think, is a really fitting image for a Messiah. We used to live in Africa and Often we used to go off to game reserves and you always were very, very cautious around lions. You know, lions are very strong. Uh, they're pretty heroic, although they do send the lionesses off to go and get the grub. <laughs> and they sleep on mounds with their eyes half open like this. They're always looking. You know, when we want symbols to represent our sports teams or our political parties or our nations, we often choose warriors like the Crusaders. Or for those of you who are following American politics, uh, the Washington Commanders, who used to be the Redskins, but nobody likes the new name, the Commanders. You know, um, there's um, ferocious beasts like the Sharks, the Natal Sharks, and the West Tigers, you know, or there's the hawks and the eagles. We like these powerful images. We're going to win. So John is expecting to see this lion because he heard about the lion of Judah and he looks up and what does he see? He sees a lamb. He was expecting to see a lion and he saw a lamb. In fact, the specific word here is delicate little lamb. Yes, the representative of the kingdom of heaven is a lamb, which represents humility, gentleness, and sacrificial love. This is the one who is worthy to open the scroll. This is the one who is worthy to reveal creation's history. So the lamb looks as though it's been slain. It's a sacrificial lamb. And next week, you're going to hear from Kath Bremner, and she's going to be preaching on Revelation 6, where the lamb is the one who opens the seals. He's the only one worthy to do it, to let us know what's going to happen. But you see, the lamb is the one who takes the judgment for us. The judgment that's coming on the world, the Lamb takes it at the cross. You know, we should never, ever, ever disregard what happened 2,000 years ago at the cross. It's as fresh today as it should be every day because people are coming to Christ today because of the cross. 
And when someone comes to Christ and we baptize them, we should be there, we should be so excited because the victory is being acted out in front of us. This is the God we serve. You know, Paul says this, he says, I resolved while I was amongst you Corinthians to know nothing except Jesus Christ and him crucified. The lamb has seven horns and seven eyes. The horns represent in scripture power and the eyes represent all knowing. In fact, he knows exactly what you're thinking right now. So if you're thinking of the roast or where you're going to have coffee afterwards, God knows. So why not ask him, who should I take for coffee, Lord? He knows. This is our saviour, the all-powerful, the all-knowing, the all-living and loving God. He's fully God, but he's fully human. This is the paradox of our faith. I want you to think of that word paradox because we've got the lion and the lamb. We've got the strong, yet the slain. We've got the wonderful, yet the weak. We've got the victor, but the victim. We've got the majesty, but the meek one. And if you drove to Onorahi a week ago, you would have seen this slogan outside their church. If you think meek is weak, try being meek for a week. Charles Spurgeon, the great Baptist preacher, said this. He said, depend upon it, my hearer. You will never go to heaven unless you are prepared to worship Jesus Christ as God. They are all doing it up there. You'll have to come to it. And if you entertain the notion that he's just a mere man or that is anything less than God, I'm afraid you will have to begin at the beginning and learn what true religion really means. For you have a poor foundation to rest upon. I could not trust my soul with a mere man or believe in an atonement made by a mere man. I must see God himself putting his hand to this gigantic work. The four living creatures probably represent the whole of creation. Different creatures above the air, in the air, on the earth, under the sea. They represent the whole of creation. The 24 elders who fall down probably represent the 12 tribes of Israel and the 12 apostles as kind of representatives, if you like, of God's specially called people. And when Roman emperors celebrated their arrival in the, in the city, like we saw there, having won a victory, the word that everybody shouted out was dignus. Dignus, and that means you are worthy. So when we hear in this passage, you are worthy to receive the victory, you are worthy to receive the crown, we're talking about dignus. Jesus is worthy. You know, worldly power, the world which we live in, is enacted by military force, by brutal manipulation, by intimidation. But God's way of victory is completely the opposite. It's looking at the humility and the humiliation of a lamb. And that must say something to us about being followers of Jesus. That we don't live this victorious Christian life always on top of the world. Sometimes being a Christian means to suffer. 
We have a cross to carry. And it means getting our hands dirty. And it means doing what Jesus did. We can't give our life for the world, but we can give our lives to our people and to one another. That's what we're called to do. And finally, I don't know if you noticed in that beautiful song, there are three songs in Revelation 5, and the first song I think is so powerful because the first song talks about one particular aspect of Jesus which is so important, and we sung about it today, the work of redemption. He is the redeemer. The word redeem means an action of reigning, sorry, regaining or gaining possession of something in exchange for payment or clearing a debt. It's like I've got this coffee card, right? And I can't wait to get to the 10th coffee because then I can go into the cafe. I can redeem my coffee and the cafe will pay for it. I love that moment. I had one of those on Thursday. Just going into the cafe... And they said, sir, would you like a small one or a medium? I said, I don't want a large one, thank you. And you're paying. I love that. That's redeeming. Another picture of redeeming that came to me, actually, funnily enough, I did a lot of ministry in Wanganui in the prison, and they all had to wear orange jumpsuits. When a person is freed from prison, he, he regains or redeems the clothes that he came in, and he takes off the old overalls, and he puts on his own clothes, and he walks out in freedom. That's a picture of redemption. The song lists seven things of redemption. I'll go through them very quickly. First of all, the price of redemption. The song says, you were slain. Secondly, the method of redemption. It says, you have redeemed us. In other words, he was the perfect payment. Thirdly, the song offers, um, honors the destination of redemption. You've redeemed us to God. We're going to God. That's where we're going. That's our destination. Fourthly, the song honors the payment of redemption. It's by his blood. He gave his very life and soul for us. He gave everything. The song honors the scope of redemption. It says every tribe and every tongue and every nation. In other words, Jesus died for everyone in the whole world. That's why the mission movement to take the gospel to every country and tongue is so important. And the song honors the outcome of redemption. You have made us kings and priests with God. You are a king or a kingess, a queen, or a priest. That's what you are. That's what we are. We are God's kings and priests. Kings reign. We can reign in prayer. We can reign when we deliver people in the power of the Spirit. We are priests. In this it had the golden bowls, the prayers of the saints, we can pray. Isn't it interesting that your prayers are in that victory procession? God knows your prayers. He knows our prayers. And finally, the song honors the result of redemption. We shall reign on earth. God is wanting us to get involved in bringing the kingdom of God into the world. 
That's what the rest of Revelation is partly all about. And so the purpose of Revelation 4 and 5, I hope you feel encouraged today. Revelation 4 and 5 is so encouraging. Read it 20 times today. Meditate on it. Chapter 4 tells us that God is on the throne. And chapter 5 tells us that there's been a victory. The victory's been won. We're just waiting for him to come back. But in the meantime, we should be enlivened ourselves to get on with the job of bringing the kingdom of God to earth. And in conclusion, I ask you this question, and I want to challenge you. When you come to worship, is it just nice little gentle hymns you're singing, or are you singing with all your heart for the victory that Christ has won? We're on the winning team, folks. This is a victory. Tear up the hymn books and throw the paper around the place. Or you bring your tax return reforms and turn them up and throw them around. Let's have a ticker tape parade in here at some stage about the victory of Jesus. He's triumphed. He's overcome. He's prevailed. So whatever you're facing, whatever I'm facing, whatever my friend Marion is facing, the victory has been won. And she and you and I can be guaranteed that we will be sharing in heaven one day with King Jesus. We will be seated at his table. This is so exciting. I'm excited. I'm going to ask the band to come up and we're going to play Victor's Crown once more. And I just want to invite you to sing. Um, and just celebrate the victory. We're going to sing it once, and then Phil's going to lead us in prayer before our final hymn. Could we have the band up, please? Thank you.